Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, good afternoon, citizens. It's always nice to be able to smell the roses before you're horizontal. So that was that was very nice. Uh, and it is a joy. You know, I do follow you guys um, at four o'clock on Facebook. So I get a little signal to say, okay, Citizens is live. And so I do, I do try to follow. And again, we do give glory and honor to our, to our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And I thank Pastor Carl again for inviting me out again. And I thank him and his lovely wife for feeding me. Uh, and that was, that was, that was more than, than wonderful and, and gracious. And this time I've got some, more family here. Princess was with me the, the first time. My granddaughter, she's with me the first time. My other grandson is with his other grandmother. And my daughter, Kamika, and granddaughter, Andy, and grandson, Tegan, and another daughter, Crystal. So I've got a following. So everybody be nice to me because they, they're taking care of me now. I'm the, I'm the child. And so it's, uh, <laughs> especially with this one. Okay. And I do thank you guys, too, for your prayers. I thank you for your, your words of encouragement. Uh, Haley and uh, Daisy brought you know, flowers uh, in a beautiful card to me when my 14 weeks today that my wife went to be with the Lord. So I do thank you guys. Thank you much. And uh, I feel home. I feel at home here. So it's, and I will be, the last month I was with Pastor Mitch, who's the, the director of our Jumpstart program just a few weeks after my wife his mother and sister the same day went to be with the Lord and we know what happened with with Haley as far as her house the Lord's attacking I mean the Lord I'm sorry the evil one is is attacking us so we have to we have to be strong and another one of our board members uh, Chris Taunton and his fiance are are here and I think they've been visiting with you guys for a for a while okay so this passage and and 19 verses. Woo! You guys got time? Nothing to do this evening? Okay, good, because we're going to be here now. You know, we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament analogies and metaphors of of sheep and shepherds. We see analogies of of good sheep and we see analogies of, of bad sheep. We see good shepherds and we see bad shepherds. And we know that God is our chief shepherd. We know in John 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd. And we are the sheep, we are the flock of His pasture. And in this great love, God has given us under-shepherds. And you have a fantastic, and I hope that you all love your pastor and appreciate your pastor. And as I go through this, this chapter, really this is focusing on the shepherd. This is focusing on the under-shepherd. But you, as a priesthood of believers, you equally have responsibility. It's not just Pastor Carl and his wife by themselves. You have to undergird. You have to be that Aaron that lifts up Moses' arms. So that's your responsibility to keep him lifted up in, in prayer. And God said in Jeremiah that he would give shepherds after his own heart who would teach, who would feed the sheep. And just like we have good shepherds and bad shepherds, again, we have Good sheep and bad sheep, and we have some that just kind of temporarily get off the road and kind of astray. But it's the pastor 
the shepherd who's going out to try to get them back into the fold again. So again, we're going to look today at the restoration of a shepherd, of Peter, a restoration of a leader, but also the responsibility that goes along with that. Now, we already know you've been going through this this whole beautiful gospel of the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is the finale. This is the closing. John is putting everything together. And again, we, you know, when we look at this, and some will say that chapter 20 and chapter 21 don't necessarily go in here. But John, and I think he, knowing that he had a heart, one, he had a heart for, for Christ. He had a, lo- a heart for the, for the lost. And, and we see that, that his joy was complete in 1 John by professing and getting people to see that the word of life, he touched him, he beheld him, he saw him. He was with him. And that's what made his joy complete was evangelizing and professing Christ. But we see here that we know all the things that Peter did and didn't do throughout the Gospels. But we couldn't just, John, I think, couldn't just leave Peter hanging. There had to be a conclusion. They had to bring things to a, to a comfortable end so that we could see. And we see later in First and Second Peter what happened with, with Peter. And so now these disciples are at Galilee or Tiberias, it's the same, the same place. And you know, what's going through their heads? There's, there's some mystifying events that have, that have happened, the triumphal entry, the expectation of a new kingdom, not the kind of kingdom that actually was coming into being, but they were expecting a military victory just like the other Jews were. They had a betrayal by a trusted friend. We know what, uh, what um, I just went blank. You know what Judas did. Okay, And then we have the near arrest because they were fearful when Jesus was arrested. And then their leader denies the Lord three times. And then we have a crucifixion. We have the death of our leader. What happens now when your leader is gone? And then, of course, we have the resurrection and we have the appearances of the risen Lord in his glorified body. And then we have. So then what happens now with these guys? understandably, they are confused. Understandably, they're going to be puzzled. They're going to, you know, what's going on? What happens now? And then what does our leader say? Peter says, I'm going fishing. And so the rest of them say, sounds good. Okay, let's go fishing. So now why did he, why did he do that? Why did he say that? What was going on in there? Did he misunderstand the Lord's commission to go and make disciples? Did he misunderstand to wait in Jerusalem upon the Holy Spirit? Did Peter just say, my ministry's over. I can't do this anymore. My leader is gone. Was he concerned about taking care of his family? What was his job? His job was fishing. So now I've got to take care of my family. I have to feed my my family. Was that what was going through his head? But did he also, did he feel unworthy? Did he feel undeserving after denying his Lord three times? What was the reason, again, that he, that he went back fishing? And let's, well, again, as we walk through this, and even more, because he was a leader, so the other guys followed after him. Let's go fishing. The revolution's over. And then in verse 5, after an unsuccessful night of fishing, Jesus says, children, you don't have any fish, do you? Well, no, Lord, we don't. But that children is a term of endearment. He would say, 
my boys, my lads, my friends. So that was a turn of endearment to them. And they still, they were, they were still kind of confused. You know, they're a hundred yards away. Don't know what it was like early in the morning. Was how dark was it? And they didn't really realize, except for one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who that was. And then Jesus says, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will have a great catch. Now, did it flash in their minds? Wait a minute now. Deja vu all over again. He did that back here again in Luke. Now, they wouldn't have said back in Luke. But so we went through that before with him. And what happened? We had a great catch that was so big that it actually started to break their nets. But what else may they have learned? This large catch, they didn't do that on their own. But they were professional fishermen. And you think, you know, again, what's going through? Wait a minute now. This is, this is what we do for a living. Now, we kind of stopped there for about three, three and a half years as we were trying to fish for men. But we know how to fish. But they did listen to what he, to what he said. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved recognized him and told Peter that was the Lord. The others still didn't readily recognize him. So Peter being Peter, what did he do? Being impulsive, being brash, jumping before he would think, he jumps out of the boat. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have any clothes on. We did have a loincloth, but this thing, you know, like Tarzan wore like a little loincloth there. And so he jumps out of the boat. He begins to head for shore. The other guys, because now they've got 153 fish in this net. And it says that the net did not break. Now, just to ease you, 153 means nothing. There's no hidden symbols. There's no hidden numbers. And so don't try to figure out 153. Just say they caught an awful lot of fish. Okay? But again, what we learn, what do they learn here? To be obedient, to be faithful, to trust in God. What do we learn? You know, he says, I am the vine and you are the branch. He that believes in me and I in him will do what? Will bear much fruit. But apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. And that's what happened here. They set out on their own, apart from Jesus, forgetting about what they had done over these last three, three and a half years. And in our obedience, what do we learn in Deuteronomy? Curses for disobedience, blessings for obedience. And that still stays true today. And if we look at verses 12 through 14, we see here that Jesus says, said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. <clears throat> Who are you knowing that it was the Lord? Now they can see. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. He had fixed breakfast for them. And now as I was reading and, and doing some research on here, it said that we have a definite article where it says the bread and the fish. So now was that just one piece of bread? Was that just one fish? Did he multiply? Because he wouldn't have had time because they're just bringing fish up on the, on the shore. They wouldn't have had time to clean them and scale them and slit them open and clean them out to get ready to, to eat. So again, we see the power of Christ. And I like to think I love catfish and I love hush puppies. So I'm sure they had catfish and hush puppies for, for breakfast. And I just told Pastor Carl that they probably had some grits on the side too. Okay, so Jesus prepared this this breakfast for them. 
I had the opportunity last month to go out to Aliceville. And we were out there to, and, and Chris went, I was out there Saturday and Chris was out there the Sunday to present Jumpstart. <clears throat> and I had a much better meal than, than he did on when I went out there because they had fresh farm-raised catfish. The only thing that was missing was it was filet instead of whole. I didn't know what a filet was. My dad didn't filet. We just ate the whole thing, okay? Uh, but again, no, he's, he's seeking now, and he does this. All Everybody's together. All the disciples are there with him. And now he's seeking to restore, to reconcile with, with Peter, to reinstate him in his office, and also to make known to the others that Christ forgives. Now, we can put a lot of weight on ourselves. You know, in Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's one of those verses that's always taken out of context. You can't condemn me. I'm in Christ Jesus. Well, that's not what, what Paul is, is talking about there. If we think about what happened in 7, I tell my students at the seminary that, you know, the, the Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. The chapter and verse breaks are not. Okay? There's no inspiration in those. Okay? And so when they break seven and you go into eight, you forget what Paul was struggling with as far as sin was concerned. Who's your biggest, who's going to beat you up the most? Yourselves. I beat me up. That's why he says there's no condemnation. Quit beating yourself up because we are in Christ Jesus. And so in this forgiveness, Jesus is telling the disciples and Peter that now I am entrusting you with my flock. I am entrusting you with my sheep. But now also, again, as a priesthood of believers, it's not just Pastor Carl's responsibility. We are all responsible for one another. We're all responsible as for the sheep out there. And now what is Jesus doing? Well, he's providing physical food for them. They've been out all night. Okay, so they were probably hungry, looking forward to getting something to eat. But what did he do before? You know, he was out here before we did chapter 13. Now you guys, Pastor Carl did the washing of feet, but Jesus was teaching them servitude, teaching them humility. Jesus who poured his heart into these men. Jesus who suffered and died for them. Jesus who conquered death and sin for these men. Now he's going to feed them physical food. And even Peter, who denied him. He's providing this this physical food, but he's also at the same time, he's giving them spiritual food. Now think about it, that he had been with them day and night for some three, some three and a half years, pouring his heart into them. And now still, they just didn't get it. And he told them to wait in the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts, that when the Holy Spirit comes in, their eyes are, are opened up and they can begin to have some understanding. But we're that same way. You know, how long have you been reading the Bible? How long have you been studying? But do you, do you really research? I'm teaching, my main course is Bible interpretation, hermeneutics. And I get after my students. How many times have you read this and you just skipped over? You didn't look up anything. You didn't research anything. You just took it for, oh, I don't know. So somebody's going to tell me and keep on going. That's not what, that's not what we're here for. Okay, so he's given them spiritual Food. He's providing them daily bread. What did Jesus say in the Lord prayer? Give me this day, give us this day our daily bread. I, re, I pray that every morning when I'm in my quiet time. I said, Lord, you know 
what I need today. You know who and what I'm going to encounter. Give me my daily bread. And that's what he's doing here. And he does the same thing for, for all of us. So now again, the circumstances must have brought back or jogged Peter's memory. My grandmother was born in 1899 in Iberville, Louisiana. And now it's called uh, St. Gabriel. Uh, she, never, she never went to school, never learned how to read and write, but probably the smartest woman person that I ever came in contact with. When I got older and I was driving, I was living in San Antonio and about eight hours or so to get from San Antonio to the bayou. And I would leave early in the morning to try to sneak up on mama so she wouldn't know that I was coming. And what would happen? I could smell the smothered pork chops. I could smell the greens and the butter beans and the cornbread and all the tea cakes. And nobody in my family has the recipe for tea cakes, so they are gone. But no matter what time of day, no matter when I got there, she already knew that I was coming. And today, when I smell greens, when I smell pork chops, what first thing that comes to my memory, what comes to my mind, is my grandmother fixing that food. So now what happened here with, with Peter? Hmm, a charcoal fire. Oh, wait a minute. Just back a few chapters ago when I... When I smell that charcoal, what did I do? I denied my Lord. I fled. And now he's another charcoal fire. Did that bring back memories to him? Three times Peter denied the Lord. The first time to a little girl. He denied the Lord. And then we can see, although we see Peter, and we're going to see some humility, some brokenness in in Peter. But what do we see here? We see the comforting sovereignty of our Lord. Our steps are ordered by God. The power of heaven and earth is in Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, what did he say? All power, all authority on heaven and earth was given to Jesus. And so when we look at this in our times of despair, when times when we're down, we can see that all things do work together for good. For who? For those who love God and who are called according to His purposes. God's grace is more than sufficient to forgive us and to restore us, no matter what we are going through. So Jesus says, Simon, son of John. Now he's calling him, he didn't, wasn't calling him Peter. He's calling him Simon, son of John. Okay, now again, what did that do? In Peter's mind, wait a minute, you changed my name to Cephas, to Peter. Why are you calling me Simon, son of John? What happens when somebody calls you by your whole name? You're in trouble. Or they don't know you. Then they don't pronounce it properly, right? Okay. So what happens? So you know, okay, wait a minute. That's my whole name. So what's happening here with Peter? So now, too, as we go through this, think about the questions that Jesus is asking of Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now that's a big one. What is, you love me more than these, Tegan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. No? <laughs> okay. So what is, what is he asking of Peter? 
Do you love me more than you love fishing and all the gear that you have for fishing? Do you love me more than this boat that's your livelihood? Do you love me more than these other men do? Now again, that was a third appearance, but they still were kind of confused about what Jesus was saying. Do you love me more than these other disciples do? What if you were asked that question? How much do you love Jesus? What do you put before Jesus? I love Trans Ams. I've got, I've had three of them. And um, I mean, we all have a sin and that's, um, and I'm, I mean, that's my sin. Well, clothes and shoes are my other sin. Um, okay, stop now. But I'm not robbing banks. I'm not doing anything bad, you know. Uh, but my Trans Am, now it's in, the, it's in the garage. I've got a 1996 WS6 limited edition Trans Am. 84,000 miles on it. When I, I special order, it took me a year to get it. I was there when they backed it off the car hauler. I was the first one, aside from them putting the oil on that kind of stuff, to get in. So now, it's actually 25 years old this year. And this month, 25 years old. So now it's an antique. But in the previous ones that I had, and with this one too, it's in my garage on carpet. I don't have a car cover on it now. And it never, ever, ever had a speck of dirt in that car. I'd get up every morning and I would get that California duster and I would dust it off and put the car cover back on it. My wife would say, you spend more time rubbing that car than you do on me. So what are, our, what are our priorities? What do we love? And now they can tell you now, it's dirty. I need to wash it. I usually don't drive it in the winter because I, I can't be replaced. And then you have to come visit me at Bib. Okay. And so what did Peter say before that? Peter said in Matthew 26, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But all the other disciples said the same thing. And what did, what did Peter say at Caesarea Philippi? The son of man must not die. Why? Well, if my leader dies, chances are pretty good that same thing may happen to me. Okay. And then Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Lord, I am with you and ready to go both to prison and to death. I don't know him. And then in John, which we, in the last time I was here, had the blessed pleasure of, of preaching 35 and 37 and what did, what did Jesus say there? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What did Simon Peter say here? Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. But yet he denied the Lord three times. We must learn from this. We must take heed also, at least we fall. We can say things, but then when push comes to shove, can you stand by what you said? But we do know that 
God's grace is sufficient. What things will we face in this Christian life? What trials? What temptations? What persecutions? And especially to the leaders of the church. And he says, again, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, shepherd my sheep. Now, again, in studying this, and I kind of have to disagree with a lot of the, uh, the scholars and some of the commentators, because now in, in John's gospel, he does use agapau and phileo interchangeably. Sometimes they almost mean the same thing. Now, agapau, agape, but that's a different word than agapau, is unconditional love of choice. Not a feeling, not an emotion, because our emotions are, are like this. Our emotions are fickle. With agapau, it's a conditional, it's an all-time love. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I might not like you right now, but I always will love you. And so it's a, a solid commitment. It's comprehensive. It's a love of action. That's what I tell my grandchildren. I love you, Papa. Prove it. You can say that, but I need to see some verb. I need to see some action. I need to see something following up with, with that. So again, it's not just words. It's a love of action. It's present. It's real, actual love. It's not only for today, but it's for tomorrow, for next week, next year, for 10 years from now, that does not end and does not change. Unwavering, personal, intentional, and purposeful. The love the triune God has for his sheep. God is not fickle. He loves us unconditionally. When we do something wrong, God doesn't say, okay, I'm stopped loving you. Okay? He always will love us, those whom he has called. And then phileo is more affection. It's a fondness. I heard Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, I don't know. I don't think Philadelphia and Nashville is a city of brotherly love, but we're to have brotherly love as, as believers, as friends. Uh, brotherly love is people who share the same interests. But that's really still a love based on, on feelings. So now when some of these people say that, oh, there's no difference in those words, those words don't make any, don't make a difference. They're, they're the same thing. But, and again, this is me saying this, I see a dis very strong distinction in the usage of these two words. And to me, I mean, John is, John's gospel, John's epistles, Revelation is all about love. Loving God and us loving one another. But now we have a, a different Peter now. We have a humble, we have a modest Peter. Does he not feel worthy to use this higher form of love? Could he say, yes, Jesus, I do have agapal love for you. But wait a minute now. I haven't displayed that. I haven't shown that. Even before the denial, Peter was always telling Jesus what to do. No, you're not going to wash my feet. Wash all of me. Okay. Again, the son of man can't, won't die. He's always telling me. You know, in the garden, what did he do? Just threw his sword out and cut off Malchus's ear. So let me pick up that ear and put it back on Okay. So Peter was always very brash, very abrupt, always stepping out before he really thought about what was going on. But now in this, 
Can he trust in his own abilities? Can he trust in his own heart? And two, now the other disciples are right there. They can hear everything that was going on. So now Jesus is doing this restoration, this reinstatement. This reconciliation is before all people. But now also too, Peter being Peter, was he still kind of protecting himself? I'm not going to step out there because I'm not really worthy to step out there and say that I have unconditional love for you. And then what does Jesus say to him? With this love, he's saying, now, Peter, I am commissioning you. Feed my lambs. Simon Peter, feed them. Feed them while they pasture and graze. Feed them. Instruct my little ones, the new babies, the young Christian, these new believers and their children. Feed them, Simon. Teach them, those that are weak and immature. They need the milk of the word. Man does not live by bread alone, but right now they can't even do bread. They've got to do milk because they're new, they're fresh. And that we need to understand that. And, and again, so we have here, Peter, these are my instructions to you. You can't just think about yourself any longer. If you have, and that's why Jesus is pressing him on this agapow love and not phileo love, because you have to feed these lambs, these little ones. And then Jesus comes back to him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? How deep, how devoted, and how dedicated are you to me, Simon? And Peter responds the same way. You know that I love you. You know that I phileo. You know that I have brotherly love. You know that I have affection for you. And Peter's trusting in the Lord's knowledge of his love, of his weaknesses, of his blindness, and of the Lord's omniscience. But also we have to ask ourselves, as I said, do you agapow Jesus? What is in your heart? To examine our own hearts for the love that we have for Christ and then the love we have one to another. So Jesus gives them another challenge, another commission. Shepherd my sheep. Okay, now you got to feed these lambs, but you've got to shepherd the sheep. And so now another challenge, not just to be fisher of men, but now you have to be a shepherd. Poimeno, that means pastor. You've got a pastor. You've got a shepherd. You've got to take care of these sheep. You've got to pastor the lambs. You have to pastor the older ones. Not just tend them and feed them, but you have to take care of them. Not everybody is called to be a senior pastor. Not everybody is called to be in the pastoral ministry. I have told a lot of men, no, this is not your calling. There's a lot of other things you can do in the church, but not being a pastor. I'm blessed that I spend all of my time with pastors. I know some really good ones. I know some really bad ones. That they should not even be called pastors. They should not have churches. No. Charles Spurgeon said, whatever call a man may have, if he's not been called to holiness, he has not been called to ministry. Can you trust your wife and your children to pastor call? I know some pastors I would not let my family, especially all the girls that I have, anywhere near some of these men. That's how bad they are. In Jeremiah 3.15, the Lord says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. 
I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That's the role of a shepherd, of a pastor. And it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that He purchased in His own blood. The shepherd's call. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, Moses and David were all shepherds, God's leaders of His people. Now Moses had to spend 40 years in training to be a shepherd. 40 years wandering around with these people. That's the importance of being a shepherd. Now, I thought early on when I was first saved that I wanted to be a pastor. And then by God's grace, he led me to Birmingham Theological Seminary. When I graduated, they, I don't know why, but they asked me to teach. And I thought, wow, that is great. And then in 2003, again, only by the hand of God that I become the, the vice president. But then I found out, I know like I know like I know that I was not called to be a senior pastor. I'd have a butcher shop instead of a sheep bowl. Okay. You have to know me and my lovely daughter there. She tells me, you know, Daddy, why do people like us? Because we're so mean to people. But I said, I learned it from her. Okay, She didn't learn that from me. So shepherd, pastor my sheep. Sheep require a great amount of supervision, guidance, and protection. They easily get lost. They are defenseless, easy prey for lions, bears, wolves, and thieves. Remember John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is false teachers. Okay, we got to understand that. It's got nothing. When we put Satan in there, we destroy the text. So it's false teachers. The shepherd must lead them to food, water, shelter. The shepherd has to always be alert. He had to be watchful, ever seeking to rescue the search and search for the lost and wandering sheep. In 2017, we were in New Zealand and we were traveling from the, the North Island to the South Island. And like England, there's just sheep everywhere. And as we we're driving, I was watching and I looked at this little lamb and he had his head, you know, you got the stock fence, you know, and he had his head through the fence and he turned like that and he's eating grass. Now, there's a whole field of grass behind him. And what did he do? And then you see, and he's doing like this. He didn't have enough sense to turn his head and pull it back out again. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Okay? They will hold their head up in the rain and they'll drown. Not knowing, put your head down. There's a lot of stories I can tell you about sheep. Okay? Special attention had to be given to the lambs, to the expected ewes, to the newborn, to the elderly, to the sick. The shepherd sometimes even had to play music play flutes to calm the flock. They sometimes also, they had the, the staff and they had the crook and they had to sometimes, they had to break a leg to those that would run off to keep them from running off. And the shepherd knows his sheep and his lambs and his flock and he calls them by name. And there's a story of World War II where these German soldiers came into Greece and they were going to steal some sheep to eat. And what did the shepherd do? He called them by name and they came back. It's also a story where they were grazing in a, in a field and there was a cliff 
And they just kept grazing, kept grazing, and they fell off. And nobody said, hey guys, don't do that. Don't walk off of here. Now the ones that fell on top of each other, they were okay. But that's how dumb sheep are. Okay? Simon, do you really love me? Simon, you have to be ready for the emotional persecutions of the Judaizers and even more the physical persecutions of Nero. When we get into 1 Peter, and Peter's telling them, if you're punished for your own sin, well, that's on you. If you're punished for Christ, then that's glory. And so who initially was the persecution? The Judaizers. You've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. But then, what was Je in fact, what was Jesus preparing Peter for? The persecutions of Nero. A year ago, we were in Rome and going through the Colosseum. And it's different when you can see it versus the fake stuff they give you on TV. There were no chariot races in the Colosseum. Scratch that. It's not big enough. The chariot races were across the street in an open field. Okay. So what did Nero do? Nero, he had syphilis, so he was crazy. He killed his parents. I mean, his mother. He killed his brothers and sisters. He would take the Christians and he would put tar and pitch on them and put them on a pole and set fire to them to guide the way into his, into his, into his palace. He would put them up against the gladiators, pour blood on them. Just horrible things that he did for, to the Christians. Shepherd my sheep, son. And so as I said, character, characteristics of, of sheep. And then the, shep the shepherd's call. The great commandment. The shepherd and the pastor cannot, will not make it, will not be able to function unless he has agapal love for Christ and for the flock. Why do so many pastors, the average pastor that's seminary trained, and this really is going to probably be across the, across the board, last about four and a half to five years. Then as a rule, they're out of ministry forever. Why? They can deal with people. Ministry would be great if it wasn't people. Think about all the issues that are happening. What's happening in your life? Who do you call? You call the pastor. If he's not ready for that, and even more for his wife. The wife and the children suffer tremendously because of things people say, things people do. What do you expect her to be like? What do you expect the children to be like? What demands are you making upon them? Now, again, I know that he spends time with his wife. He spends time with his children. At least he tells me that. Now, that's all I can, that's all I can say. Okay? Because oftentimes you give of your life to the church. You give of your life to all of you. And then who gets neglected? That's why you pray for your pastor. You pray for your pastor's wife. Jesus says a third time, Simon, do you love me? However, this time Jesus uses the same verb that Peter did. Do you phileo me? Why did Jesus change the words that he used? Another challenge for Peter. Is the Lord even doubting Simon's humble affection now? Do you even have brotherly love for me? Is he further challenging uh, Peter to really, really stop and think about this conversation? Giving him the opportunity to confess, to acknowledge, to repent to Christ after denying him. I frustrate people because I ask whys in that right principle. I want to know why. I want you to think about what did you do? What did you say? Why did you do that? What was your thought process when you were doing whatever it was you were doing or you didn't do whatever it was that you were supposed to do? 
I frustrate my family to know. But now they know to think. Peter was sad. He was sorrowful and inwardly grieved. Was Peter crying inside? Lord, create in me a clean heart. I now have that broken spirit, that broken and contrite heart. I now have that heart of a shepherd, that heart of humility, that heart of, of selfless service. I'm ready now, Lord God, to change and be that shepherd that you called me to be. No longer a fisherman, but now a shepherd of your people. And now he's beginning to understand that he cannot function under his own strength. Again, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. When you venture out on your own, you may get a little bit of the way, but you're not going to be able to complete. And when something comes against you, okay, it's time to leave. Okay, But now we must be dependent. The vine has to, the branch has to be attached, vitally connected to the vine to survive. When you cut that branch off, what's it going to do? It's going to die. And then Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, Peter's appealing to the Lord's omniscience, to the Lord's penetrating knowledge to truly see his heart. God knows our lying down. He knows our rising up. He knows our every thought before we think it, every word before it proceeds from our mouth. Christ knows what a shepherd requires, what a believer's heart requires. Now, here again, we have two different words. Previously, each time that Peter said, you know that I love you. He said, Yuda, which means uh, you know me intuitively. Uh, we've been around each other for a while. You kind of know me. But this time he says, Gnosko, which means experientially. We have spent time together. You know everything there is to know about me. And so Peter changes the words this time because, again, Lord, you asked me three times, do I love you? And now he's appealing. Lord, you've been with me all this time. You know, you know, like you know, like you know that I love you. He says again, tend my sheep. Those who are immature, those in need of tender, loving care, those who need spiritual, physical, emotional help, where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God. And now verses 18 and 19. I'm almost finished. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you did not wish to go. Now again, these are Jesus' direct words. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. Truth, truth. Only Jesus could say truth before he spoke. We say amen afterwards, hoping that what we said was true. Okay? And so he says, you used to gird yourself. So gird yourself, dress yourself. Okay? Remember he says, gird up your loins. You got to pull that robe up and tuck it in and make it some pants and be ready. We're going to fight or we're going to flee. One or the other. Okay? You can't do that in a, in a dress, can you ladies? You got to put that dress together and take them little bitty steps. That won't work. Okay? Or like these guys today that are walking around like this. Can you fight with one hand? You better drop those pants and you better do something. <laughs> Pull them up and put a belt on or something. Okay, so he says that you used to gird yourself. Well, Peter used to go out and do anything you wanted to do. You were brash, you were bold. You just to go out and do whatever you want to do. But when you grow old, you're not going to be able to do that. And what's going to happen? You will stretch out your hands. What's that mean to stretch out your hands? The cross. 
and someone else will gird you and bring you where you did not wish to go. How did Peter die? He was crucified upside down because he felt he wasn't worthy to die the same way the Lord did. Now in this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Jesus wasn't literally saying because he was gone. He had ascended. He went back up to be with the Father. You know, in John 17, I love when, he, when Jesus says, to go back to the glory we shared before the foundation of the world. I was having a chat with a, a pastor friend of mine. Uh, we had lunch Thursday or Wednesday. And he was, he's doing a revival in Ohatchee and he was talking about this. And I said, now think about what Jesus said. He said, Jesus, he said, God, look at just me, you, and the Holy Spirit. Look at how great this was. The joy, the glory that we shared before you made those people. So now I'm not saying anything about you, God, but we had a great time. And then you bring these sinners into the world. And I got to go die for them. Okay. So he's saying, be my disciple, my apostle, follow me in service and suffering and death, endure affliction and martyrdom. And he's recalling to Peter the duties that set before him. That's follow me. Follow me in my example of what I did. The real work of the shepherd is laborious, little or no appreciation. The responses from your sheep may be discouraging. Criticisms are harsh and the attack of Satan is fierce. The shepherd's call must be love of Christ. The shepherd has to be a watchman. He has to be vigilant, watching out for wild animals, for robbers and thieves, and for the false teachers. The, the, <clears throat> the shepherd has to be a guard. He has to protect the helpless, defenseless sheep. The shepherd has to be a guide. The shepherd must lead, not driven or herded, because the sheep follow. You can't get behind them because they'll just go everywhere. So you have to trust in your shepherd and follow. The shepherd has to be a physician. So sheep like humans get diseases, have accidents, misfortunes. They are always in need, morally, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. The shepherd has to be a savior. Sheep like people need to be rescued. They need to be ministered to. They get lost. And the shepherd has to love. Jesus is teaching Peter that to be a good shepherd, his primary motivation must first be love for Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he must love, agapal, the sheep. You cannot shepherd the flock of God without agapal, unconditional love of God. Love of our Savior, Redeemer, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. What is the shepherd's? What is the, God, what is the leader's call? It is the call to love. The call to love God and the call to love one another. As Jesus said, departing, follow me. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.